good to be with all of you today. I'm looking forward to today's message. If you are new to Lake Effect Church or new to watching online, this entire year we are in this series called You Do You. And the whole goal of this year is for us to understand who we are, who we are created to be, and to do what God has called each of us to do. So this entire year we're focusing on three things. We're focusing on understanding your spiritual gifts, understanding spiritual formation, as well as understanding spiritual conflict. So today we're going to talk about the gift of the discernment of spirits. Some of you might have um, grew up with a translation that called it the gift of discerning of spirits. So why do we do this study? Why are we looking at this gift? See, the reason that we're looking at this gift of discernment is because God wants each of us to walk in the truth. He wants each of us to experience the truth. Some people talk, when think we're talking about the sermon of spirits, they kind of think, are we just going to focus on the negative? We're going to focus on demonic spirits. No. What this gift is designed, and God has given it to us, so we can all walk in the light that God has for each of us. This gift is designed to pull us out of the darkness and into the light so we can focus on Jesus, so we can receive more of Jesus in our life. So that's what this message is about today. So what is the gift of discernment? Let me begin by telling you a little story that is actually a true story. Some of you know that uh, I went to Fuller Seminary about 30 years ago now, and my first encounter with a gift of discernment was in my first year of seminary about a few weeks after I met my wife, Becky. At that time, I was living in California and Pasadena and going to Fuller, and Becky was living in Colorado Springs. And so we had this long-distance relationship going on, and she had never been in my apartment. And one of the days she called me, she was talking to me, and she's asking, what is your apartment like? And I had probably one of the most beautiful, coolest apartments in all of L.A. Maybe not that. Pretty cool. I lived on Fuller's campus. Fuller had this beautiful campus. Imagine taking two blocks out of one of the best neighborhoods about, of Heritage Hill in Grand Rapids, an old historical district, and blocking it off. And for two blocks, that's all you had was these old houses that they renovated into a seminary. So some of the houses were converted into, like one was a coffee shop with a spiritual formation office on top. One of the uh, houses was converted, that was the admissions office. One was a counseling office. One was your academic advisors. And then they knocked over a couple houses and built the library. They knocked over a couple houses and made the school of psychology and knocked over a couple houses and made the School of Theology and World Mission. But on that campus, they left one old, old house for student housing. The rest of the student housing was scattered throughout Pasadena. So I'm in this old Victorian home that probably was a hundred or so years old. I mean, imagine big, beautiful L.A. home. And so this home was divided into about eight different apartments. And I lived on the first floor in this beautiful corner unit, and literally all my front access and all my side was French doors. And these beautiful French doors would open up to this big hedges of bushes that had, I think, yellow bougainvilleas on them. So I had just this most beautiful apartment. You'd open all these French doors and you'd have the beautiful 72 degree temperature in LA blowing in with this barrier of all these beautiful, beautiful hedges. And I love that apartment. What? I know, I was jealous. You're like, let's move to LA. So anyway, so in the, I, had two be, I had two rooms. So one was my bedroom slash office slash that's my entertainment where people would come over and I had my couch. Then I had this big crazy kitchen. I mean, you could have landed an airplane in there. It was so big. But I hated going in my kitchen. 
it always kind of gave me the creeps to go in the kitchen. I didn't like it. I'd go in there, cook my food, and then I'd go right back into my other room. I mean, literally, I could have, I, I, I could have like housed a small family in that kitchen. It was so big. But I never liked to be in there. So one day I'm talking to Becky on the phone, and she said, I'm explaining my apartment to her, and I'm telling her about my kitchen, and she said, you have a demon in your kitchen. So you know, I don't have any roommates. And she's like, no, there's a demon in your kitchen. And so I was a little scared, thinking, well, what do I do? And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to be in California in a week or so, so when I, when I come, we'll pray through your apartment. I'm like, well, why don't you come right now? I mean, we got a problem right now. And she's like, we'll pray right now. We'll pray that that demon is silenced, that it doesn't do anything, it doesn't harass you or speak or anything. So she prayed over the phone, and everything was nice and calm. Then she came to visit me a week later. And so she walks into my apartment, and we greet each other, and we walk into the kitchen. Immediately when we walked into the kitchen, the microwave started flickering on and off, on and off, turned off, turned off, buttons, beep, 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 beep. That was a little strange. Then at the exact same time, my answering machine, remember answering machines 30 years ago? One little tape that had your message, the other little tape, the recorded message, suddenly that answering machine started to go berserk. All these bells and beeping going off, playing my message, scrambling the messages that I received that were deleted three, four months ago, started to play them. Microwave beeping, answering machine beeping. Then what happens next? All the lights in the entire house, everybody else's apartment starts flickering on and off, on and off. I'm like Scooby-Doo. I jump into Becky's arms like, what are we going to do here? (laughs) Becky's just calm and cool. So now you might be thinking, okay, you lived in L.A. You're having a little power grid problem, a little scourge of electricity that can all be explained. Okay, maybe it can be. But then what happened next? One of my neighbors who lived in the house, kind of around the backside of it, we were good friends. You know, we hung out. You know, we, we did stuff together. He comes to my apartment, starts banging on my door, cussing and swearing at me. What are you doing that's causing the lights to go off and on in this entire building? I'm quiet as a mouse. I'm like, I ain't answering that door. Cussing at me, swearing at me. What are you doing? While the lights are flickering, the microwave's going off, the answering machine's going off, Becky just looks at me and sweet and says, do you ready to pray? The sweet little Becky just simply got out the anointing oil, started anointing in Jesus' name. We just command any demon in this house to leave silent. Just kept praying through every room of the apartment. Didn't take too long. Just blessed each room, commanded anything of darkness to leave. Five, ten minutes, we're all done. All the electricity's back to normal. About a week later, I walk into my kitchen one morning. I'm like, whoa, they're back. It's calling Becky. Becky, she's, in, she's back in Colorado. She's like, you know what to do. Just get some of your friends over and to pray. So I called two of my friends. We came over. We anointed my, uh, my apartment, and we just prayed and blessed it again, and I never had that problem again. I never slept well in that apartment once I got there. I just thought, you know, it's L.A. I mean, it's noisy living in L.A. But once that demon was gone, I just slept through the night like I always do. It was a beautiful little 
thing that happened there. But see, the truth is, I probably would have lived in that apartment for my entire three years at Fuller, simply avoiding my kitchen, if Becky didn't come in and say to me, the source of your problem is demonic. See, that's a big part of the gift of discernment. It tells you the source of power behind your situation or your feeling or what you're sensing. The gift of discernment is all about sensing what is the power behind what is actually happening. Because I'm sure most of you have been in a situation once or twice or more times in your life where you're just feeling like something is off here. Maybe something's off with that person or something's off with that place or something's off with a situation. And that's why we are talking about the gift of discernment to help us understand what is happening in those situations. What is the source of power that is actually going on in your situation that's making you uncomfortable right now? Is it from God? Is it just something human that you have to deal with? Or could it actually be satanic? So today I want to talk about the gift of discernment, but I, 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 I'm guessing that some of you are still thinking, you had a demon in your kitchen, really. Now how can that be? Because I think sometimes in our culture we don't always have a paradigm for supernatural things happening. So before I continue to talk about the rest of my sermon on discernment, I want to answer your question of, how in the world did you get a, a demon in your kitchen? I'm not exactly sure how the demon got there. I was more concerned on how to make sure the demon got out of there. But if you go to Le Leviticus 14, verse 33, it's going to give you a little bit of an insight on how, why we need to pray for homes and places. The issue, Leviticus 14, is addressing the issue of leprosy. And in this chapter, there's two instructions on leprosy. One of the instructions is how does a person get cleansed from leprosy? And the end of the chapter is about how does a house get cleansed from leprosy? Now, you've got to be smart and go back to the old translations because they will actually translate it correctly, the Hebrew, and use the word leprosy. Some of your newer translations, they like to translate leprosy and call it mildew or mold. No, you go back to the Hebrew. It is called leprosy. So in Leviticus 14, here it says this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you shall come into the land of Canaan, which I will give you for your possession, if there be a plague of leprosy in a home, he whose house has it shall go to the priest, saying, It seemeth to me that there is a plague of leprosy in my home. The first part of the chapter, people have leprosy. The second part of the chapter, your house now has leprosy. See, remember, leprosy was always an outward sign of an inward problem. Leprosy was always a sign that there was some kind of sin or some kind of contamination that a person was involved in that led to their leprosy. So in this passage, we're seeing the parallel between the sin of a person could cause a person needing to be healed from leprosy, as well as there could be some kind of sin or defilement that happened in a house that would need to be healed from leprosy. And that's kind of where our foundation of why do we pray through homes? Why would we pray through a business? Well, we can see that a person, a home, just like a person, could be infected with something that they need to be cleansed from. And it's kind of pretty simple. You just need to go through a house and pray. Now, for some of you that are like, I need more. Well, there is more. That little story in our apartment ended up 
coming in a book form. This is one of the books that Becky wrote. It was called Ridding your, Protecting Your Home with Spiritual Darkness. Kind of the antecedent to this book was what happened in our apartment. So we kind of put this together as a book, and it's actually her best-selling book because people are all like, ooh, I need to get a hold of that. So if you are like, okay, I want to know more about that, or you have a real need for this book, I will give you this copy. You can come talk to Becky after the service, or if you're too shy to say you need it, you can always buy it on Amazon. But good book. So a lot more theology about praying through a home or a business. So you talk to the author right there. There you go, Beck. It's a good book. So anyways, okay, so here we are. Now we're going to talk about um, the gift of discernment. So what is this gift? We go back to 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's written for you in your bulletin. Now, I, I numbered it different. This, this is not the biblical way of numbering verses. I numbered it so you could see the nine spiritual gifts that 1 Corinthians talks about. Here Paul says, There are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Number one, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the works of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretations of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So here's your list of uh, nine of the spiritual gifts. There's, there's other lists in the Bible. But this is a first starting of nine of the gifts that Paul's going to talk about. A lot of these gifts are referred to more as the power gifts because you see more of God's power in these gifts and you see more of God revealing through this gift. And a lot of times people look at the gift and they look at the gift of prophecy and the word gift of distinguishing of spirits and the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and they're like, aren't they kind of all the same? And at one sense, they do look really similar. So I was tempted to do just one message and put them all in there and just say, okay, we're all going to preach one message on the gifts of revelation. But I decided what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each of them differently because I think it's good to really sit with a gift and just say, okay, let me understand this really well because it's really kind of helpful to understand what gifts are actually working in you. So last week we talked about prophecy and this week we're going to talk about the discerning of spirits. So before we begin, I want to give you a nice classical definition by one of my professors from Fuller, who also happens to be my father-in-law. You kind of see where this little writing gifting comes into my family that I'm, I'm part of. So anyway, this is what my father-in-law says. The gift of discerning of spirits is a special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to know with assurance whether certain behavior purported to be of God is in reality divine Humic, human, or satanic. See, I love this definition that he gives because he's focusing this on the positive. This is a gift of discernment. You're looking at something that you're assuming is from God and you're saying, is it really from God? Paul talks a lot about discerning of spiritual gifts. Is it really of God or is it just human or is it satanic? It's good to always sit back and say, what is the source of power behind what is happening? What is the source of power behind that prophetic word that's coming out? What is the source of power behind the healing that you're seeing? That's what we're doing here today, looking at the source of power. 
So this is a spiritual gift, but it's also a role that every individual plays. A characteristic of each Christian is that they would discern both good and evil. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Hebrew in Hebrews 5.14. I don't think I put this in your notes. It's Hebrews 5.14 says that the mature Christian should have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All of us as Christians, we have to look at things and say, is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? We all do that before we watch a movie. Kind of read the description and quickly you're like, not, probably not a good thing for me to watch. Sometimes that doesn't take a big spiritual revelation from God to know what you can watch or not watch. We all have to be working at that, but then God sometimes gives us the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit that sometimes we know without even knowing what's going on, what is the source of power behind that. So some of you might be thinking, okay, um, why do I really need this gift? You know, maybe you're thinking, I don't have any demons in my kitchen. Why would I really need to know the source of power behind what is going on? I want to start by giving you just three good reasons why it's important for us to all have the gift of discernment and to be seeking that God would actually give us more of this gift. See, the first reason is our war is not against flesh and blood. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in this heavenly places. See, I grew up in a church and a culture that we kind of ignored verses like this. We kind of ignored anything that was a little bit supernatural. We didn't pay attention to them. We just kind of quickly read over those. Kind of read quickly over the gifts of the Spirit to you, like, eh, we don't really need those. But there's no place in the Bible that says, well, that was for back then. No place in the Bible says we don't use those anymore. The fact is we only overcome evil by the presence of God. We don't overcome evil by ignoring that it's not there. We are in a battle against principalities and powers of darkness and evil forces. See, when we're praying through my apartment and our neighbor started to bang on our door, we were not in war against him. It was not time to open the door and have it out with him. What are you doing? No, 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 no. We were involved in a spiritual battle at that point. That battle was over the satanic forces that were trying to infiltrate into the apartment, into that building. That was the battle of resisting what the enemy's plans were to come into that apartment and set up home in that apartment continually. The war wasn't against my neighbor. And as people of God, we have to be willing to go to war for what God has for each of us. I paid rent to live in that apartment. That entire apartment was mine. But I was avoiding a certain part of it. But I paid to rent the entire apartment, not just one room in the bathroom. But I had to enforce I had to enforce uh, the spiritual authority that God has given to me to drive out anything out of that apartment that would stand against me enjoying that entire apartment. See, in the same way, God has so much for each of us. He has a spiritual inheritance for us that he's bought for us, he's purchased for us. He says, you can have it all. But we avoid certain things because sometimes we don't like to confront things that would oppose us from receiving all that God has for us. See, a passive attitude never wins wars. But we have to engage in what God would lead us into battle for so we can simply receive what he has for us. 
The second reason that we need to have the gift of discernment is because people are going to lie to you. Listen to what John says in 1 John 4.1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. See, I love what John is saying. The first thing that John is saying is, number one, people are going to lie to you. Number two, he's reminding us we live in a supernatural world. What does he say? Test the spirit behind it. Test the spirit behind it. Test the source of power that's coming through. See, it's so easy for us to get caught up and so busy in life that we only look at what's obvious and we don't look behind it to see what the source of power is. See, so often when we are discerning things, we're not really examining what's behind it. We're looking at things on the surface level. And what we do is we keep God out of it. Sometimes we forget to ask God for his wisdom and his insight and discernment. Sometimes we just fail to lean back into the gifts that God has given to each of us. And sometimes we don't do that on purpose. It just happens because sometimes we forget we live in a spiritual world. That's why John says you live in a supernatural world. I want to talk to you about what happened to the Israelites in Judges verse 9. Here this is a chapter of the Israelites making a very bad decision because they didn't ask God for his wisdom and advice. They could have went to God and he would have told them exactly what to do, but they didn't do it. They ignored God and they caused a problem in the generations of the Israelites for over 400 years because of one little problem that they made. In Joshua 9, we have the story of the Gibeonites. This is, this, the, um, so here, this is the Israelites. They have, they've conquered, they've, they've gotten over... Um, they cross over the Jordan River. They are now in the Promised Land. They have their battle against Jericho. Things are going really well. They, and, and so here they are in, in Joshua 9. It says, But the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. They resorted to deception to save themselves. See, the other nations in the land of Canaan were starting to think, oh boy, the Israelites are pretty powerful. They're pretty strong. They're actually going to clobber our nation. So they're starting to get really scared. Some people ran away, but now we have the Gibeonites. Here they're coming to the Israelites. It says, so they sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old parched wineskin. They put on worn out patches, sandals, and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. The Israelites replied to the Hivites, this is their gift of discernment kicking in, how do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. But they replied, we are your servants. They're lying. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. We have heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Shion of Hezbon and King An of Basham. So our elders and all the people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. The bread was hot from the ovens when we left our home, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. 
So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days later, after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. Israel simply committed a big mistake that could have simply easily been avoided if they would have just said to God, what do we do in this situation? Instead, what did the Israelites do? They judged the Gibeonites by appearance only. It said, so the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. The Israelites did what we easily do. You look at the outer appearance. You make a judgment based on the outer appearance, but you don't look at what's really going on inside. We tend to do that really easily. We think we can figure out a person or a place or a thing by the outside of the appearance. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. Instead of relying on a gift of discernment or asking for the wisdom to God to say, what is really going on in this situation? The Israelites were so close to doing the right thing. Earlier in the story, they even said, how do we know that you don't live nearby? See, that's how often the gift of discernment works. Sometimes it just starts with this impression, something's not making sense here. Something's not making sense here. And as you think about it, as you pray about it, God reveals more to you. Sometimes the gift of discernment, boof, you know without a question what's going on in one second. But sometimes the gift of discernment is simply God giving you little nudges. This doesn't make sense. This really doesn't add up. All the Israelites had to do was to say, God, what do we need to do in their situation? And it's a sad story because when this deceit happened to the Israelites, everything for the Israelites was going really well. They were like doing really super well. They had just crossed the Jordan River. In chapter 5, the nation of Israel, all the men get circumcised to commit themselves to God. Now, I'll tell you, that's dedication when you can get a million guys all to show up for a circumcision because they want to be part of the God's army. They did that. So after they're circumcised, it's the very first time the Israelites enjoyed the first food of the promised land. After they said, we are totally dedicated to God. They enjoyed the food of the promised land. Then in the next chapter, what do they do? They see the defeat of Jericho. The defeat of Jericho had nothing to do with Israel's army. They had a poor army. The reason that Jericho was defeated, because the men and women of Israel were dedicated to the Lord and the Lord fought the battle for them. And then you go in chapter 7, and what do you see? They learn a really good lesson about sin and presumption. And then in chapter 8, they see they uh, were able to defeat the land of Ai. And at the end of chapter 8, the Israelites are doing so well that they build this big memorial to God. And all the Israelites surround the memorial to God, and Aaron reads before them the law that Moses had written. And they're in the land of Gilgal. Here, everything's going great for them. They're dedicating themselves to the Lord. They're surrounding this big monument, and they're in the land of Gilgal. Gilgal is code for, that's the resting place for the Israelites. That's the Gilgal was the place where the Israelites went to, and they dedicated themselves to God. That's a, Gilgal was the place where the Israelites experienced the first fruit of living in the can, land of Canaan. Gilgal was a place of dedication. It was a place of surrender. It was kind of like their Garden of Eden. Every time after the Israelites had a war, they would go back to Gilgal to find rest and restoration. 
You don't expect the enemy's going to come to Gilgal and deceive the Israelites. You don't expect that at all. But that's exactly where the enemy came for Adam and Eve. He came to the garden. You don't expect Adam and Eve, the, the enemy's going to come in this most beautiful place of the world and deceive you, but that's exactly where the enemy likes to come. We so often think the enemy comes when everything's going bad and everything's going rotten, you're all discouraged. Yeah, he comes there too, but he also likes to come when everything's going really well. Because sometimes when things are going really, really well, you forget to be really, really reliant on God. Sometimes when things are going well and you think I'm winning my battles, I got victory, you forget to be reliant on God. And that's exactly how the enemy was able to deceive the Israelites. He tricked them into thinking you're doing so well, you're so self-reliant. He comes in and the Israelites are stuck with a treaty. They couldn't back out of that treaty. They couldn't say, hey, you guys deceived us. No, they signed a treaty. They were stuck with their treaty with the Gibeonites. We need the gift of discernment because people are trying to lie to us. And the final number three reason why we need the gift of discernment, we need to be on the lookout for counterfeits. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen elect. See, again, this is one of those verses that we like to stand back and read and think, eh, that doesn't happen anymore. This doesn't go on anymore. But the Bible never tells us this doesn't happen again. Instead, the Bible says, you could be the one that's deceived. Even a follower of Jesus could be one that is deceived. See, the hard thing about deception is that it's never obvious. See, that's why counterfeits are so deceptive, because they look so close to being the truth. That's why the Gibeonites could go easily trick the Israelites, because it looked like they were telling the truth. You remember in the books of Exodus, in Exodus uh, chapter 6 and 7, when Moses is showing to the Pharaoh what he can do with a staff, the sign and wonders through a staff, that Pharaoh's magis magicians could almost perform the exact same thing. But it was through the power of evil. Moses' staff was by the power of God, but Pharaoh's magicians could almost do the exact same thing. That's not just an Old Testament thing. That's a New Testament thing as well. Listen in Luke chapter 11. It says, One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed, but some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. See, it's obvious that the people are wrong. Jesus got his power from God. But the people were questioning because back in that day, the people knew, where does the source of power come from? That's what they were looking at. The people in the first century, they knew that power is, where does it come from? And that, in that culture, there's a big number of false gods they would worship. And all the people were trying to figure out which is the God of most powerful. So when the people in the crowds are examining Jesus, they're thinking, where is this power source coming from? So earlier I read... 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe everybody that claims to speak by the Spirit. See, it's so important that we understand what John is saying. Be very careful. 
See, John is addressing back in that first century that there were people that would prophesy and speak in tongues in these churches, but the power did not come from God. And that's why John is saying you need to be very, very careful when you're watching things happen to know what is the source of power behind what is happening. John's pretty clear. We need to evaluate everything that's happening. We can't be like the Israelites and just judge by appearance. We have to have the gift of discernment. See, this is important to remember that a person, um, a person could prophesy or have a gift of tongues and, or a message in tongues, and it could simply be wrong. It's not always just demonic. Sometimes it's just wrong. And sometimes that's okay. We have to make room for people to learn how to use their spiritual gifts. If we set up such a standard that a person can never be wrong, nobody's ever going to dare try to use their spiritual gifts at all. Now, there are times it can be demonic. In times it can be from God. And sometimes it's just wrong. Sometimes a person's discernment is just off. Sometimes it's because they're too excited or they're too scared or it can be a variety of number of reasons. We have to have a church culture where people can be wrong occasionally. Otherwise, nobody's ever going to use their gifts. See, the biggest danger with a gift of discernment is not being wrong. That's not the biggest danger that's going to happen. The biggest danger is this is thinking that this gift gives you permission to be critical. That's the biggest danger with this gift. See, sometimes a person, you might have heard a person say to you, well, I really have a really good gift of discernment, and some people do. And I respect people with a really good gift of discernment. I like to know a lot of people with the gifts of discernment. It's helpful to have friends with gift of discernment. But sometimes when people say they have a real strong gift of discernment, it's actually code for, I'm a really critical person but I found a way to justify my behavior. See, your opinions are not your discernment. That's when a gift is used wrong. Your discernment is revelation that comes to you from God. It's not your critical spirit. It's not your agenda. It's not even your opinion. That's why when we practice spiritual gifts, we always go to 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let love be your highest goal. See, the gift of discernment has to go hand in hand with love. Because quite a lot of times, the gift of discernment is often paired with the gift of intercession. Because the gift of discernment doesn't give you the ability or the responsibility to go blabbing around town or gossiping about what you discerned. Oftentimes, the gift of discernment is paired with a gift of intercession because you are called to be quiet and to pray for a person or a place or a thing or a situation. That's sometimes how you can tell who has a really good gift of discernment because sometimes they know if I'm going to use that gift, I better have a lot of grace and a lot of mercy and be willing to pray for people. So we've got to be careful with this gift. This gift, it's good to know the difference between good and evil. It's good to know the power source, but we always have to have love as our biggest goal. We always have to use this love with deep, deep humility. We always have to balance this goal with deep gentleness and kindness. 
And we also have to remember that sometimes you can be wrong. You're not always right. Sometimes if you think something, you don't have to immediately say it. You can pray about it. Or in confidence, you have one close friend, you can say, hey, I'm praying about something, and what do you think? Some people also use that as, oh, that's a good way to gossip. I can make it all spiritual. I'm praying about something, so i got to tell 400 people. No, 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 no. You go to maybe one person and say, hey, what do you think about this situation? Let them pray with you. That's not an excuse to gossip. And also be careful how you say things. Sometimes you say, you know what, I'm thinking or I'm sensing is a lot better off than saying, this is the way it is. It also shows some gentleness to people. We need to be very careful with using this gift. It is such an incredible and powerful gift, but some people are turned off by it because some people have used it wrong, but that still doesn't give you an excuse not to desire it. See, earlier in my father-in-law's book, when he described this gift, he described that people have this gift at a very different ability and level. See, if you have the gift of discernment, that doesn't mean you can discern everything at all times. Remember, he talked about you can discern when things are from God, or things are from a human, or things are from the enemy. Sometimes you might be really good at discerning when things are from God, but you're not really sure when things are from human, or you're not sure when it's from the enemy. Or you might be really good at discerning when something is from the enemy, but not discerning from that's from God. And all of that, that's okay. Part of the gift of discernment is knowing what are you good at at discerning. See, now my wife is pretty good at discerning all things. She's kind of like good at it all. That's why she could say, your apartment, there's a demon there. That's just kind of how the way she flows. Most of the times her discernment's really good, but I've often see, I always see her being very careful about her discernment and weighing it and asking other people's opinions. But my wife also knows when you have discernment, it comes a lot of responsibility of interceding. Now, when you discern something, I've heard Becky say, and she probably doesn't like me telling you this, I've heard her say many times, oh, I wish I didn't discern that because I know I'm going to be up all night praying because there's responsibility that comes with discernment. But also, it's good to know what you're good at and not good at. I'm not always the best at discernment. I can discern pretty good, but Becky's always better than me. See, at times, I could have been jealous in our relationship because she's discerning something. I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? I'm not discerning it. That's okay. God doesn't equip everybody with the same amount of a gift. He puts us all in community together, so we rely on other people, and they rely on you, but we use it together. Often I've seen people with a gift of prophecy and the gift of discernment get jealous of other people, thinking, well, why can you do that, but I can't do that? No, that's just the way God has gifted each person. We always desire more, but if Becky's doing something I can't do, that's okay. We cannot allow this gift to be used to make us feel like there's something wrong with us. But we all need to be desiring more of this gift. This gift is incredibly powerful and it's very well needed in the days and the times that we live in. We cannot be judging things by outward appearance. We have to be looking at the power behind it. See, the, is, the, dis, the mistake that the Israelites made with the Gibeonites wasn't just a little mistake that they got over in a few weeks. That mistake that the Israelites made with the Gibeonites caused a famine 400 years later. 
There was a famine that happened for three years, 400 years later, because of that covenant that was made. See, 400 years later, King Saul broke the treaty that Joshua made with the Gibeonites, and it caused a famine for three years. Nobody saw that coming 400 years before. The decisions we make today as an individual and as a family and as a church will can have impact 400 years down the road. What we do and what we decide will impact the generations to come. Who would have thought a three-year famine was caused by a poor decision that Joshua made in the book of Joshua? Remember David, King David, went and inquired of the Lord. He said, why is there a famine? Why is there a famine in the land? And God's answer to him was, because King Saul broke that treaty that Joshua had made. All of it could have been avoided if the Israelites would have trusted their gift of discernment and inquired of the Lord, what do we do? But they failed to do those two things and it caused a famine for three years. I think I want more of the gift of discernment. I want more of the ability to know what is the source of power behind a situation. And I want more to be inspired by God to know what decision to make and not to make and to know when there's trouble and know when it's okay. I think probably most of you would agree with me that we need more discernment today in the body of Christ and as well as individuals. So I'm going to close this message in a little bit of a different way. I'm going, I'm going to close it. I'm going to pray for everybody online. And if you're online or listening later in the week, if you want more discernment, I'm just, I'm just, you know, just raise up your hands at home and, and pray. Um, but also, but if you're here in the sanctuary today, I've asked Ted and Leslie to come up, and they're going to be on this side, and Becky and I will be on the other side. And if you feel nobody's pressuring, no, no burdens, if you want to come forward and be prayed for, that God would give you an increase of your gift of discernment. Or maybe you'd maybe realize for the first time you have discernment. I didn't know I had a gift of discernment until Becky said to me, got me started on this thing with my, my apartment in California. And when, you know, when, you know, that demon came back, I'm like, well, I'm discerning something. So maybe you have a gift, but it hasn't really been activated. You remember when Paul was talking to Timothy, he said, Timothy, remember the, the spiritual gifts you have that were activated by the laying on of hands. Sometimes when people pray for you, you discover more of your spiritual gifts. So I want to invite you here. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray for people online, and then you know we'll close the service for the online community. Then I'll turn off the camera, and then we'll have our two lines here. Then afterwards, Greg will lead us in our final song, and I'll do the benediction. So, everybody got it? If you want prayer, you can come forward. If you're like, no, don't feel like that today. Hey, I totally understand. You got to do things at the right time. You don't want to do things out of timing. And anyway, if you come forward, we'll pray for anything for you. So let me pray for the online community. Thank you for joining us here today. It was good to be with all of you. And I just pray that you are blessed today. And let me just pray if you are at home or listening later and you're like, you know, I, I really would like more discernment. I, I really, I, I do have that desire, or, or I, I desire to understand more of my spiritual gifts, or I want God to make this more easier for me to understand, then I'm going to ask you just, just to put out your hands if you're comfortable with that, and let me pray for you. So God, I do pray right now for every person that's listening to me. 
Lord, you told us to eagerly desire more spiritual gifts. You told us to desire them. So, Lord, if you tell us to desire them, Lord, it's your, it's your joy to give us more spiritual gifts. So I pray for everybody listening to me, Lord, that they would receive more spiritual gifts from you, especially the gift of prophecy. I pray that the people listening to me, that, Lord, maybe they don't even know they have spiritual gifts, that they would realize that they have spiritual gifts today. I pray, Lord, that you would activate their spiritual gifts today, that the ones that maybe are lying dormant or they don't even realize that they have. God, I pray that you would awaken each of us to receive all that you have for us. Lord, you have a big, beautiful inheritance for us, and Lord, none of us want to be not to receive it all because we're naive or we don't know. Lord, we ask for everything that you have for us, Lord, that we would receive today. God, I pray that every person, just their, their gifts would be activated in a new way, and maybe some gifts would come forth that they didn't know that they had. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.